Thanks, Craig. Um, hi, everyone. Hi, good morning, good morning. Um, it is good to be with all of you this morning. Um, it's especially good to be with you this particular week. Uh, my wife and I, on Friday morning, got back from a, um, a nine-day trip to the city of Medellin in Colombia. We were um, visiting a seminary there and, and other things. And while we were there, we got to visit two churches that are a part of our denomination, um, two evangelical covenant churches in Medellin, Colombia, which was super fun. It was really cool to see that we are, I mean, we're, we're part of this much bigger thing, uh, the movement of the church. And it's easy for us to get wrapped up and, and consumed with the details of our lives. And it's easy to forget that God is so much bigger uh, than, what, than even what we see here. Um, and even, you know, beyond what happens in our denomination. I love being in this church and looking around and seeing, like, the, the German in the stained glass windows and, and just being reminded about how, how big our God is. Um, this morning, I'm excited to continue our series called Abide, where we are looking at the farewell discourse of Jesus in the Gospel of John. So this is uh, John chapter 14 through 16, a section where Jesus is talking with his disciples the day before he dies, and he is, he's giving them instructions on how they should act when he goes away. He's giving them ways that they can continue to abide with him even when he is not physically present with them. Our passage this morning is John chapter 16, beginning with verse 1. If you have Bibles or apps that you'd like to read along with, you can pull them out now. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen. Jesus says this, All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned them about you. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit, spirit will receive from me 
what he will make known to you. Now, I want to just sort of walk us through this passage. There's a lot in here, and we could spend a lot of time. But in this first chunk of the passage, uh, in verses 1 through 3, we learn a lot uh, about the context of the Gospel of John. This is one of those passages that scholars especially point to to help us learn the reasons that John is, is writing this Gospel. He was originally writing this gospel for a particular community that had uh, particular struggles and needs. And we see in these first couple of verses two of those big struggles that they were going through. Uh, These have been mentioned before in this sermon series, but one of those is that John's community was being excommunicated from their synagogues, right? So a synagogue is a place of of Jewish worship, where Jewish people come together and they read the Torah and they have discussions and they pray. And John's community was a Jewish Christian community who was still worshiping in synagogues, but because of their confession of faith in Christ, they were being cast out from and excommunicated from their synagogues. This is one of those verses in John that helps us and scholars know that this was happening. Uh, In John 16, verse 2, Jesus says they will put you out of the synagogue. Uh, In Greek, that's actually all just one word, out of the synagogue, aposynagoges. And it's a word that John has invented. It doesn't occur in any literature uh, before the Gospel of John. And John uses it three times in his Gospel because he's addressing this concern and this uh, issue that his community is facing. We see in this passage another Uh, issue that they were facing, and that was persecution. Uh, Jesus says in this text, in fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. Uh, This is a reference to the persecution that John's community was facing. Now, it's hard to know exactly, uh, you know, is killing here a, uh, a metaphor or a hyperbole, or was it literally happening? And if it was happening, how widespread was it? Um, It's really hard to answer those questions, but uh, we know that the community was facing some sort of serious persecution. So John is writing this and and collecting Jesus' discourse in this way to address the felt needs and problems that are existing in his community. We see another thing in the verses that come after. We see great sorrow from the disciples in this passage. Um, Jesus says to them, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. In this passage, the disciples are exceedingly sad. Why? Because Jesus is telling them that he is going away. And it's not simply that Jesus is going away that makes them sad, although that is certainly part of it, but also Jesus going away means that these other things are going to happen. The excommunication, the persecution will come when Jesus goes away. So this is uh, the disciples and John's community are experiencing this great sadness and this great sorrow because Jesus has gone from them. But then in the middle of the passage, Jesus says something a little strange. In verse 7, he says, Very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. And this is odd because Jesus going away doesn't seem good, right? It is 
Uh, it means that he's not with them. It means they're going to suffer these struggles and these hardships and these persecutions. But Jesus says it is good for them that he's going away because, he says, unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus says the advantage of me going away is that I am able to send the advocate to you. Now we should think a little bit about this advocate. What is this and what does this mean? Uh, the word in Greek here for advocate is parakletos. Some translations uh, might translate it using the word paraclete. Um, maybe you've heard this word. Uh, the basic meaning of it, it is one who appears on another's behalf. A mediator, an intercessor, a helper of some kind. Uh, it occurs five times, only five times in the whole New Testament. Once in the letter of 1 John where it's talking about how Jesus intercedes for us. But the other four times this word occurs are in this farewell discourse in John chapter 14 through 16. And it always refers to the Holy Spirit. The advocate that Jesus is sending, the advantage of him leaving, is that we get the Holy Spirit. Now, this is something we've, uh, we've touched on in this sermon series a bunch of times, but I want us to zero in on that this morning. Jesus says, the big advantage of me leaving is you get the Spirit. Jesus is saying, if you want to abide with me when I am gone, then you must connect with the Holy Spirit. So let's think about the Holy Spirit together this morning. I want to begin by correcting what I think are probably some common misunderstandings of the Holy Spirit. Maybe these aren't things that we uh, think explicitly, but sometimes internalize. I think it's easy to think that the Holy Spirit is like somehow a lesser person of the Trinity, right? This whole Trinity thing in Christianity is very uh, strange and weird and hard to understand. Uh, but and it's easy, I think, because the Holy Spirit comes third to conceive of the Holy Spirit as somehow like lesser or lower or secondary in some way. But that is not true, and that's not the Christian faith. The Christian faith is that the Holy Spirit is fully God in every way. Uh, Christian understanding of the Trinity was something that, that Christians really struggled with and, and uh, began to articulate in the fourth and fifth centuries. During that time, there was a heresy about the Holy Spirit uh, that was called pneumatomachianism. Um, you can all write that down. Uh, pneumatomachianism, it's, one, it's maybe my favorite nerdy theological word. Uh, so pneumatomachianism is the heresy that says the Holy Spirit is not fully God, that the Holy Spirit um, is not distinct from the Father and the Son, or that the Holy Spirit is somehow lesser or something along those lines. I'm oversimplifying a little bit, but that's okay. We are not pneumatomachians, right? We are people who believe that the Holy Spirit is fully God. Another misunderstanding about the Holy Spirit, I think, is that sometimes we think of the Holy Spirit like, we, uh, like the Force from Star Wars, right? It's very easy to think of the Holy Spirit simply as like God's power or as this sort of impersonal uh, force or power or energy that like helps us or, or permeates the universe or something like that. 
the Holy Spirit is not a force. Uh, the Holy Spirit is not a thing. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. Now, when I say person, I don't mean the Holy Spirit is a human being. Right? Obviously, that's not the case. Uh, I'm using Trinitarian language that, that Christians have used for a long time. We believe that God is one substance in three persons. And we're using the word persons here in large part because persons have the capacity for relationship. And I think this is why it's important to realize this about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a thing. The Holy Spirit is a person because the Holy Spirit has the capacity for relationship. The Holy Spirit has personhood and personality so that you and I can have a relationship with the Holy Spirit who is fully God. This means, I think, that when we refer to the Holy Spirit, we should not use the pronoun it. The Holy Spirit is not a thing, and so we shouldn't use the word it to describe the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, pronouns in English are controversial and, and confusing. Uh, I, I would be okay with you using he for the Holy Spirit, with you using she for the Holy Spirit, or with you using the gender-neutral they for the Holy Spirit. Um, I, you know, the Holy Spirit is obviously neither male nor female. I think the important thing is don't use it because we have the capacity for relationship with the Holy Spirit. And then another misunderstanding about the Holy Spirit is that I think we often relegate the work of the Holy Spirit to moments of, of uh, to extreme moments, right? The Holy Spirit is something we associate with those spiritual highs we have maybe during uh, certain moments in worship or during certain challenges. Um, sometimes we think of being filled with the Holy Spirit as a certain kind of spiritual ecstasy or maybe even associate the Holy Spirit solely with, with miraculous works like healing or prophecy or, or tongues. But the Holy Spirit is not just for special Christians and the Holy Spirit is not just for special moments. The Holy Spirit is present with everyone who is in Christ, and the Holy Spirit is present with us always. So what does this text say about the Holy Spirit, about the advocate? Uh, this word is used a couple of times in the farewell discourse, and we learn um, a few things about this advocate. First of all, we learn that the advocate is with us forever. In John chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. The Holy Spirit is always with us, not just in those big moments, but in the small moments, in the difficult moments, in the exceedingly normal moments, the Holy Spirit is with us. This discourse also teaches that the advocate is someone who points us to Jesus' words. Uh, Jesus emphasizes this a couple of times. In John chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus says, But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. The Holy Spirit has this function of 
teacher, but the primary teaching that the Holy Spirit does is teaching us Jesus. The primary teaching of the Holy Spirit is to point us to the words of Jesus and the things that Jesus has already taught us. Sorry. Sorry. Um, Jesus says this again in uh, John chapter 15, verse 26. He says, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. The Holy Spirit testifies about Jesus. Again, the teaching that the Holy Spirit does is a teaching that points us to Jesus and to the words of Jesus. Next, in the passage that we uh, read today in John chapter 16, we learn that the advocate proves the world wrong. There's this passage in John chapter 16, verses 8 through 11, that throughout Christian history has actually been notoriously difficult to interpret and to understand. Uh, Jesus says, when he, the advocate, comes... He will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. And I think what Jesus is saying here is basically this, that the Holy Spirit will expose the lies of the world. That in the, the hearts and minds of those who are in Christ, the Holy Spirit, Spirit will show how the world's view of these things is wrong. So Jesus says the world's view of sin is wrong, um, because people do not believe in me, because the world doesn't realize the great sin of not believing in Jesus. Jesus says uh, he'll show the world to be wrong about righteousness, a word that can also be translated as justice. And I think what he's pointing to here, um, he says, because I'm going to the Father, is his death. He's saying the world is wrong about justice because they thought it was just to put Christ to death, but that was not justice. And then he says, the advocate will prove the world wrong about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. The Holy Spirit will expose the lie because, and will show that the victory of Jesus in the resurrection means that the evil powers and the rulers of this world have been conquered and judged. The Holy Spirit will expose the falsehoods and lies in this world, and then the advocate guides us into truth. In the last section of this passage, Jesus talks about the spirit of truth. And when the spirit of truth comes, he says, he will guide you into all of the truth. The Holy Spirit will expose the lies of the world and guide us into the truth of Christ. When Jesus' disciples in this passage were struggling with great sorrow because Christ was leaving, he points them to the Holy Spirit. When John's community was struggling with the, the challenge of, of excommunication and persecution, John points them to the Holy Spirit. And whatever we are struggling with, whether you're struggling with sorrow or sadness, division from the people or the communities you love, hardships or troubles of any kind, you can look to the helping spirit 
who is always present with you. Now, the Holy Spirit is something that I could just stand up here and keep talking about, but what we really want is for us to be able to connect with the Holy Spirit. So what we're going to do this morning is just give you some time to connect with the Spirit. Uh, in your pews, there are uh, pens and a little, a little half sheet of paper. Uh, we put them in a lot of the pews. I think especially some of the pews in the back left might not have gotten some. There's a bunch of extra ones up here. Uh, if the ones up here can be grabbed and taken to people who don't have them, that would be fantastic. Um, the band can come up now also. What we're going to do now is just give you a chance uh, in some quiet moments uh, to reflect upon the Holy Spirit in your life. Um, on this sheet of paper, there are two sides. One side has, a, has a, an old poem about the Holy Spirit. Um, you can read and reflect and pray uh, through this poem. On the other side are some questions for you to think about and to reflect on in terms of your relationship with the Holy Spirit. Uh, also, during this time, the prayer team is going to be in the back of, the, of this area. Uh, they will be ready and excited to pray with you. I'm going to give you, um, I'm going to give you some time, 10 minutes or so, uh, to think and to meditate and to pray on the Holy Spirit. In this passage, Jesus tells us that the way we abide with him is by connecting with the Spirit. And I know that often the most, one of the most uh, challenging things in doing this is just having the time. And so we want to give that to you this morning. And whatever it is you are challenged with or you might be facing, the Holy Spirit is here now. Even if we don't feel them, they are here with us in this present moment. And so let's spend some time being attentive to the Spirit in whatever way you feel led, whether that's meditating on the poem or answering some questions or praying by yourself or praying with the prayer team in the back. God is here with open arms for us now. Heavenly Father, God, I ask that you will fill this place and fill us with an awareness of your Spirit. May you help us to connect with you to know you more fully in these moments. Holy Spirit, we invite you to fill this place in our hearts. In Jesus' name.